Well, good morning. I uh, want to take a moment as we prepare to start a new series over the next few weeks to say a very special thank you to Jason Kalaski, who uh, faithfully proclaimed the word uh, last Sunday. It was a joy as uh, the pastor of our church to be able to sit and simply be a member, uh, be a husband, be a father, and to sit under the teaching of the word. Uh, so Jason, brother, thank you for your faithfulness to the text in Psalm 24. Uh, very encouraged by it. I've gotten a lot of good emails about it. Um, the only criticisms came from his wife, which was great. Uh, that is not true, by the way. I'm completely making that up. Uh, but anyway, so uh, thank you for that. I'm thankful that we have men in our church who can stand in this pulpit faithfully and give each of us the opportunity to uh, just hear the word of God from very unique voices with very unique perspectives. And so uh, last week was one of those weeks that I was thankful for. So uh, having said that, this morning we will begin a new series called Abiding Light, where we will walk together through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, or better yet, the letters known as the Epistles of John. Now, our goal for today is to get through a really a brief background on the letters and then to dive into the introduction, which will then set the tone for the rest of John's letter. Now, my hope is that we will ultimately see that Jesus Christ, the one called the Word of Life Made Manifest, is the very basis and foundation of both eternal life and also Christian fellowship. You see, Jesus is the very cornerstone of all that we believe about Christianity. You see, Christianity throughout history really rises or falls on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our faith itself hinges on the power of the resurrection, but at the same time also hinges on whether or not a true incarnation, in other words, God-made flesh, actually took place in our world and in our historical time. Now, many of us may be saying this morning as believers in Christ that, yes, I believe in the power of the resurrection. Many of us may be in this room saying, yes, I believe in the power of the incarnation. This is not something that is in question for us today. And so if that is you, then praise God. I pray that this message this morning would be one of encouragement to you and one of affirmation and, and edification. But at the same time, I want us all to quickly realize that what may be true for us today is not true for our world. You see, our world is falling more and more into secularization and is doing everything possible to refute the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, today we face confusion. Today we face distortions of truth, and not just any truth, but capital T truth. Today we face inaccuracies as people often misquote the word of God, and yes, we face accusations and denials of Jesus Christ and who he is. We will come across many who will attempt to use the Bible to either reveal these deficiencies and accuracies and denials to us, or maybe we may run across people who will use the Bible to attempt to point to the fact that for them, the Bible itself is a book of contradictions. Well, in our text today, the Apostle John faced the same challenges. And so 1 John is written in order to set the record straight as to the deity and the humanity of Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So before we begin, let's answer some introductory questions. First being this, who is the author? Well, scholars agree that the author would be John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, who wrote five books in the New Testament. Now, when you look at each of these books or each of these letters, you'll begin to notice that a pattern starts to form. You see, the Gospel of John was written to call sinners to Jesus Christ. The epistles, which we are going to be studying over the next few weeks, were written to both confirm and affirm the believers in Christ. And then there is the book of Revelation, which announces the return of the king. We then move from who the author is to, well, where was this particular text written from? Now, again, scholars would agree that John was in Ephesus sometime between A.D. 80 to A.D. 95. And so they would agree that these letters were written to the churches of Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. Now, through his epistles, John will address themes of correct belief in Jesus Christ. He will address themes of obedience to God's commands and then address themes of what a true Christian or, for us today, a biblical love for one another should look like as Christians. And so as we read these letters together, John will expose those who profess Jesus Christ and yet don't know him. But at the same time, he will assure those who know Christ as Savior, who know Christ as Lord and yet struggle with questions of doubt. So now that we have our background, let's read our text together and see John clearly teach us that Christ truly is the word of life, which is now made manifest. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 John. We will begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1. And if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, this is John writing in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, he writes, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it, uh, proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house and to worship you. Father, we pray that in these next few moments together, as we study your word together, Father, prepare our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears for your truth. God, I pray that today we would see you, that we would leave here not only affirmed of who we are in you, but we would have it confirmed within our hearts who you are. So Father, we pray in these next few moments together, speak to us, Lord, and through your word, May you be glorified. Father, prepare us for your truth today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, again, what we have here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is really John's introduction to his letter to the churches of Asia Minor. Now, I want you to pay attention to John's letter here because it's uniquely different from most of the Pauline letters that we have throughout the New Testament. Notice John doesn't start with a, hey there, how are you? Notice John doesn't start with, hey, I want you to let you know that before we jump into the issues that you're dealing with, I want you to know that I am very thankful for you. Rather, John jumps right into clearly defining how we know who is in Christ versus who is not. And so to waste no time, in verses 1 and 2, John opens with this phrase, that which was from the beginning. Now, John here, through this phrase, is using the same language as what we have already read in John chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This was also similar language to what we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which recounts the beginning of creation. Now, many times people would read this opening passage, an opening phrase, and they would blow past it, not realizing that John was trying to make a point from the very outset of his letter. You see, John in this moment is clearly pointing out that Jesus Christ and his life is as significant as the story of creation itself. In other words, for John, not only was Jesus Christ there in the beginning, But for John, he is more important than the story of creation as well. Now, why is this phrase so important to us? Well, what John is trying to already do is he's beginning to reveal the incarnate Son of God, which became man in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. John is saying to us that the divine has now become human. Now, let me unpack this for just a moment. You see, when we begin to read verse 1 and 2, we see that Jesus was from the beginning, according to verse 1, and he was the eternal life that was with the Father, according to verse 2. So you see, in our opening two verses, we are now learning that Jesus, the Son of God, has existed for all eternity with the Father as God. So for those who say that Jesus was created by God, John is now saying no. That's not only not true, that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, John is now arguing that there has never been a time where the Son of God was not. In other words, for John, if he were here today, he would tell us that Jesus Christ was before the beginning, it was Jesus who was in the beginning, and it is Jesus who is from the beginning. Now again, this teaching was not new for John. In fact, Jesus Christ himself taught this same teaching as well. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Again, in John chapter 14, verse 9, in talking to Philip, Jesus says these words, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You see, Jesus believed and confessed that he is God. And so when we come back to our text here in 1 John, we have John now confessing the very same thing. Jesus is deity made 
flesh. Now again, for us today as believers, living in a time of moral confusion and and, and moral chaos, we really need to take a step back and get back to the very root of our faith. You see, for us today as Christians, we need to realize that there was never a time when the Son was not, and there never will be a time where He will not be. So as we come back to our text in 1 John, John now gives a defense of the humanity of Jesus Christ. You see, John was a direct eyewitness of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so John reveals to us that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Now John's actually going to repeat this phrase in verse 3 for emphasis, but notice what he goes on to say. He says, which we looked upon. Now, again, if you're one of those people who underlines in your Bible or you highlight in your Bible, this is a very important passage, and I think I would underline this particular phrase in verse, uh, verse 3 here because at first glance, this almost looks like repetition, almost as if John is repeating what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, now we have looked upon. But pay attention to what John is saying. You see, when John uses the phrase looked upon, he now means that there was intentional, intense, and continuous gazing and contemplation of the man called Jesus Christ. You see, John reveals that for three years, Jesus' every move was watched. Jesus' every move was analyzed by the apostles and nothing was missed and so when Jesus declares himself as Lord and Savior when he declares himself as Messiah this has to be real in fact, the best way to understand this phrase looked upon, I would, I would want you to think back to a time when maybe you were doing, a, not a crossword puzzle, but you know, one of those word search puzzles. You know what I'm talking about? It's that horrible thing that teachers give when they're out of work to give students and they think it's helpful with spelling. I find that debatable but it's just a jumbled page of letters and somewhere in the letters are words that you're supposed to be looking for. Now, in the midst of this jumbled mess, there are actually actual words. And so what did we do with this jumbled mess of words? We looked for patterns. We looked up, we looked down, we looked backwards, we looked forwards, we looked diagonally, uh, diagonally to the right, diagonally to the left. Every now and then we might've thought this was more like a chess game and three words went down and then two words went right. Occasionally you would find a word that wasn't even in your word list and you would hope for extra credit from your teacher only for your teacher to realize that word wasn't even on there. You see, this is the type of watching. This is the type of analyzation, the type of scrutiny that John tells us that he and the apostles were watching Jesus with. They were watching his every move. They were watching and analyzing his every word. They probably knew him better than anyone else. But notice that John wasn't done there in our text. You see, the very next thing out of John's mouth was uh, this particular phrase. He says, and having touched with our hands. Now, this is incredibly important words because it's now proving the humanity of Jesus Christ. You see, John is again telling us that Jesus was real flesh and real blood. He was not some sort of ghost, nor was he some sort of apparition. 
Rather, he was very much living, very much breathing, and very much walking. John then tells us that not only did he see Jesus, but now because of Jesus, he testifies and proclaims eternal life. Now again, these words in the original Greek were actually written in the present tense, revealing that John believed in who Jesus Christ said he was as Savior and Lord. John saw Jesus Christ. John heard Jesus directly. John walked with Jesus and now was actively proclaiming Jesus to the world. You see, at this point, John, from his introduction, has now set himself up as an audible, visible, and tangible witness of the person and work of Jesus Christ. What he has seen, what he now knows, he learned directly from Jesus himself. And so John presents himself as an expert witness to the manifestation of Christ. Now again, we would ask the question, why is John's witness so important? Why was it so important for John in our first three verses to help us understand how connected he was to Jesus Christ and how he was such an expert witness. Well, this is where knowing the historical context of our passage matters. You see, John was living in a time where he was dealing with Gnosticism, which taught that matter is evil or inferior to spiritual reality. And these Gnostics believed that salvation itself was a mystical secretive knowledge that few could ever know or could even ever grasp. And so these Gnostics came into the church they came in to new believers to speak to them and ultimately to lead them to deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. At the same time, there was another group of people who were infiltrating the church who were now teaching that Jesus himself was not even a man. They taught that Jesus was a ghost or better yet, a phantom. That he only appeared to be human and then would vanish like the morning mist. These particular people believed that God's spirit empowered a normal man, a man who just happened to be named Jesus and then left him at the point of crucifixion. Again, here is where knowing and studying the word of God matters. You see, many of us upon hearing of Gnostics and hearing of these other thoughts would say, well, man, we don't see these things played out today. Well, the reality is you need only turn on the TV. Maybe it's the History Channel or some other channel like it around Easter. It happened again this Easter. And we begin to hear people tell us that Jesus Christ was a myth. They tell us that Jesus was a fairy tale that several people just believe in. But the reality is Jesus is not a ghost. Rather, Jesus is the God who took on full humanity. Now again, there's a phrase for this, and I'm just going to get into this briefly. It's known as the hypostatic union. 
This is where we learn as Christians that Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully man. Unlike what many people want to believe, Jesus was not half God nor half man. He was 100% God and yet at the same time 100% man. And so Jesus Christ, according to John, was like no one else who ever lived or ever will. He has always been with the Father and yet has come to be with us as well. Now, for our world today, this is a tough pill to swallow. You see, our world, our current culture, does not want to believe in God, nor does it want to accept the teaching that Jesus is God who came in flesh, fully human and fully divine. In fact, it's upon this point that John Piper argues when God becomes a man, Man ceases to be the measure of all things. And this man, being Christ, becomes the measure of all things. This teaching is simply intolerable to the rebellious heart of men. In other words, according to the word of God and according to what we just read from John Piper, our teachings of Jesus Christ from the very word of God strikes the heart of sinful man in a way that man will be left with no choice but to either submit to Jesus Christ as Lord or ultimately to rebel against him. So because of man's consistent rebellion, we as Christians today need to hold fast to the accounts given to us according to the very word of God. You see, the reality is if Jesus is who he claimed to be, which is what John testified to in these first four verses, then the identity of Jesus Christ now changes everything. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, do we believe in who Christ says he is? Do we believe like John? Do we believe like John and are willing to testify like John to both the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ our Lord? We get into verse 3, and again, John now switches gears from seeing Christ to now proclaiming Christ with passion. He begins with the phrase, that which we have seen and heard. Now again, John is repeating what he's already written for the purposes of emphasis. But notice now that John adds the word proclaim, which also means to announce. John is now telling us that now as believers in Christ, as those who know who Jesus Christ is, we can now no longer remain silent about the eternal life-giving word of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are now image bearers of our Lord. We have been saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ. And because of Christ's atoning work, we now have a message to share. It's almost as if John in this moment is saying, I have seen the Lord. I have heard the Lord. I have analyzed his words and his movement. And yes, I have touched the Lord. And now I have no choice but to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Now again, we are left to ask, why proclaim this news? Well, John answers that question by saying, so that you too 
may have fellowship with us. You see, in this moment, John is speaking of sharing a common ground that may be the most significant truth to who we are. You see, because of Jesus Christ, we now share a oneness with each other because we now share a common value. We now share common beliefs. We now share a common goal in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As followers of Christ, we now have a common agenda. Again, we have a common purpose. You see, John loved fellowship. John loved the local church. And so for John, he wanted everyone to be a part of the church that is rooted in Christ Jesus as Lord. And he didn't want anyone to miss out on this invitation. So you see, for us today, if you were to just take a look around the room for a moment, one of these days, I'm going to get really smart and I'm going to hide a camera up here and it's going to serve two purposes. One, so I can put your picture on the screen behind me so you can see the room. The other, so we can make fun of those who are in prayer when the reality is they're probably asleep. It's going to be a good time. But either way, if you were to look around this room today, you would realize that we all come from different backgrounds. We clearly have different thoughts. We have different opinions. We have different jobs. We have different purposes. We have different thoughts on politics and pandemics and family and purposes. Yet the one thing that should always unite us is Christ Jesus is Lord. That he alone is sovereign God. In fact, that simple statement should drive us to desire to be together in fellowship with one another. The fact that Jesus Christ is Lord should drive us as Christians to find ways to work through our differences. You see, I want to encourage you today. If you are here and you want to divide because of a simple, silly argument, then may I suggest to you that you may be missing the point of why we gather in the first place. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, let me put it simply. We're not here for you. We're not here for me. We're here because Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. It is the reason why we gather. It is the reason why we worship. It is the reason why we are called to fellowship. You see, John knew that where fellowship existed, followers of Jesus shared in relationship that were richer and deeper than any ethnic heritage or any national identity. We have to ask ourselves the question, what can possibly what can possibly be greater than being a part of the fellowship family united with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, who is both Savior and Lord? You see, unlike other world religions, Christianity brings us into an intimate relationship with God who is Savior and Father. God is a perfect Savior. 
He is a perfect heavenly father. And because of our fellowship to him, we now get one massive family that according to Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 is from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages. Now again, when you read Revelation 7, this passage may not resonate with you. So look at it this way. Because of Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior, because of our fellowship that we now share with him because of him, and because we are now together with other believers in fellowship, we now have more in common with believers in the Middle East, with believers in Africa, with believers in Asia, than we do with our neighbors here who do not know Jesus as Lord. You see, we are not alone in our faith. Yet at the same time, let's realize that we have work to do, both here in our local community and around the world. We have work to do in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why at Southside Baptist Church, we speak of being together as one, teaching the word faithfully, and loving others boldly. Now we move from verse 3 and we get into verse 4, and John closes his introduction by reminding us that God is glorified in us when we find our joy in him. You see, because of Jesus Christ, we can come to know a joy that is nothing like what this physical life has to offer. John tells us this when he writes, these things so that our or your joy may be complete. John teaches us that because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our joy is now full. In other words, all that we could ever want, all that we could ever need can be found in Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is not something new for John. In fact, John is repeating what it is that he's already heard from Jesus. In fact, when you go back and look at John chapter 15, verse 11, you read these words. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Doesn't that sound familiar to what we just read in verse 4 of 1 John? You see, in John's words, as a believer... In Christ, because of Jesus Christ, we can now have fullness of joy. That fullness of joy exists because of the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. That joy can also be found in our fellowship and friendship and relationship that we now share with God because of Christ Jesus and also the fellowship that we now share with one another within the local church. So as John will continue to share with us as we continue to walk through 1 John and again in 2 John and 3 John, all of this joy, all of this fellowship is made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, we have to ask ourselves, do we know the gospel? Maybe a better question is, when was the last time we shared the gospel with someone who needed to hear it? 
Or better yet, if you're a Christian in the room and you're struggling, you're hurting, you're frustrated because you've not gotten news that you were hoping to hear this past week, here's a question for you. When was the last time you shared the gospel with yourself? You see, it doesn't matter what happens in life. We know every day that we are given is given to us as a gift from God. We don't know what those days will hold. They may be days of frustration. They may be days of heartache. They may be days of joy, days of celebration, days of longing, days where we struggle with sin and don't realize it, and then days where we realize just how sin sick we are. But no matter what our day brings, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't change the fact that he is Savior. It doesn't change the fact that he was there in the beginning, that he was God made manifest in the Gospels. And by his Spirit, he is with us today. You see, the manifestation of Jesus Christ has something that's always been called into question throughout history. In fact, it's been one of the most divisive moments for the church. Uh, the church. In fact, so much so that history tells us in AD 325, church leaders gathered in Nicaea and the issue of the day was one simple question, who is the son? Now, there was a popular man there, a man by the name of Arius, who said that God became a father and the son was not always, that once he was not because he was created. Now, upon hearing this, there were two other men there, men named Alexander and Athanasius, who strongly opposed this view, believing that biblical truth and the doctrine of salvation now hung in the balance during this council and by God's grace and providence Arians was defeated and what we now know as the Nicene Creed was written and thus set forth biblical and orthodox understanding of the nature and the person of Jesus Christ you see the deity and humanity of Christ in the words of the Nicene Creed are beautifully affirmed so in a moment we're going to read the Nicene Creed together. We're going to recite this creed together. And what I want you to notice is as we say these words together, I want you to notice the person and the work of Christ and how it is balanced beautifully, brilliantly, and wonderfully through this creed. And so my prayer is that as we read these words together, that we would join with our spiritual fathers in confessing and proclaiming that we too believe in the word of life, which was made manifest. Let's pray together.